Have you ever been a part of an argument that has degenerated into personal attacks? Uh, it's never fun when you get into those kind of arguments. It starts off maybe fairly good. It's a debate about a significant topic. Uh, but then as the argument degenerates, you get to that point where it now is just attacks back and forth. Nothing more productive is coming out of it. And the only thing that's keeping you going in the argument is you trying to get the last word or you trying to get in the best insult. Never a good thing to happen, particularly when both people try to do that. Nobody is listening anymore. It's interesting that in the section that we are in right now in John, John 7 and 8, Jesus is in a debate with a number of the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders in the temple. In fact, in chapters 7 and 8 of John, Jesus is asked 22 questions in just those two chapters. If you add up all the questions, Jesus is being grilled by the people. And Jesus is continually giving answers and evading some of the answers uh, but the conversation appears, particularly by the point of the conversation we're in today, to be degenerating. And it's interesting because Jesus seems to be part of the degenerating of the conversation. Uh, by this point in the conversation, we read this in John chapter 8. The people retorted to Jesus, you Samaritan devil. Didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? Jesus told them, you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. The people said, now, that, now we know that you're demon-possessed. And Jesus says, you don't even know God. If I said I didn't know God, I'd be just as much of a liar as you people. It's kind of an interesting conversation between Jesus and the people. They're both accusing each other of being a devil. They're both accusing each other of being liars. I mean, Jesus is not a yogi guru walking around in a state of tranquility, speaking peaceful thoughts in an eloquent British accent that many people stereotype Jesus to be. Jesus was very much a Middle Eastern man who could throw his punches in an argument as much as anybody else. Jesus was a real poop disturber, both then and now. That's the censored version of that. He said things like, Don't, do you think I have come to bring peace on this earth? No, I've come to divide people against each other. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I have come to divide people against each other. Jesus said that? Jesus is not necessarily good for the family. I know people who have been thrown out of their family, rejected by their family, whose family doesn't talk to them anymore because they've come to faith in Jesus. The Jesus many in the church have accepted is not the Jesus of the Bible, but often a churchy Jesus made out of flannel graph. I remember the wonderful days of flannel graph before all the video. Jesus is kind of cute and cuddly, fluffy, 
So what has gotten us to this point in the conversation where the Jesus that we see in the pages of the Bible is throwing out things like you are the son and sons and daughters of the devil. The devil's a liar and you are just like your father, the devil, a liar. If you've never heard Jesus talk like this before, uh, maybe you just need to start reading the Bible. This is the same Jesus who said things like, you snakes, you brood of vipers, you hypocritical whitewashed graves, are you so dull? How long must I bear with you people? Yep, those are all things Jesus said. Never things I was taught when I saw the flannel graph version of Jesus. By the time we reach this point in Jesus' ongoing debate in the temple, both parties are throwing attacks at each other about being demon-possessed. Things are getting a little heated. The contention is not over whether or not the people believe in a Messiah. The Jewish people are steeped at this time in the belief of a coming Messiah. What the question is, and why the debate is getting so heated, is because of Jesus' repeated claims to be that Messiah. That's what was up for question. Jesus continually making references to himself as Messiah and the people not getting it. Jesus didn't fit their agenda as to what the Messiah should be like or was going to be like. And rather than re-examine what they think, rather than re-examine their scriptures, they tossed Jesus aside. And let's face it, if we're honest, changing your mind is extremely difficult. It is one of the hardest things to do. I had a conversation with an individual just a few weeks back who was convinced that the King James Bible is the only true authoritative Bible to read possibly written by Paul himself. But as I got into a conversation with him and I began to show him that the King James translators didn't have many of the manuscripts that we have today. There have been much better manuscripts discovered since the King James Bible was translated. Uh, Much earlier manuscripts than what the King James translators had available to them. Some of the sources that we have now are hundreds of years earlier than what the King James Version translators had when they worked on their version. And when I show him that, showed him that we have better manuscripts and better resources and better scholars that are even working on this, after I had put all of this together, he said to me, what you are saying Quite possibly could be true, but I still choose to believe the King James is better. That's how hard it can be to change your mind. Even if you prove to me otherwise, I still choose to believe this. How do you even dialogue with a person like that? At that point, I just, you can't. You just, all right. 
So after Jesus stood up and repeatedly claimed to be the Messiah, after people were drilling him with question after question after question, finally calling him a demon-possessed man, no matter what Jesus said, they refused to change their mind. You know, the inability to change your mind is a great way to miss what is right underneath your nose. In fact, the inability to change your mind significantly hinders your ability to read this book correctly. We all come to the Bible with all kinds of preconceived ideas, things that our parents taught us, things that our church taught us, traditions and habits that we've been under, the background, the culture that we've come to. And if we have an inability to change our mind, we will not see what's written in these pages. We will simply see what we already believe and we'll find certain words and certain verses that will jump out at us and simply affirm what we already believe. But the work of God is the work of transformation. It's the work of transforming minds, transforming hearts. Christians of all people should be the number one pursuers of truth to say that I will follow truth wherever it leads me, even if I have to change my mind a hundred times in the process. It's the pursuit of truth. After Jesus said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Watch how these closed-minded people react. First off, to give them a little bit of credit because we're all like them. uh, Don't lose the force of Jesus' statement with, again, an over-familiarity with Jesus. When, when Jesus says things like, you will know the truth if you follow my teachings, and the truth will set you free. It is a completely radical statement that has huge punch to it. In Jewish culture, like our culture, it was the scriptures where truth was established. It was the scripture which was the basis and standard of truth. God's revealing of himself through the pages or the scrolls of scripture. So for some guy like Jesus to come along and say, follow my teachings... And you will know the truth. Follow my teachings. And when you see Jesus in other places, he even goes as far as to say, you've heard it say in your scriptures, but I tell you this. So follow my teachings. Follow my teachings and you will know the truth. Follow my teachings and you will be set free. Who does this guy think he is that can ask other people to follow his teachings and his teachings are the truth itself? Truth that will set people free. In fact, when he says, my truth will set you free, he's making another messianic claim. You see, the Messiah 
by very definition, is a savior. The very definition of a savior is to set people free. It's to save them from stuff. Save you from prison. Save you from drowning. He's a savior. He's claiming by saying, my teachings, my truth will set you free. He's saying, I'm a savior. I am the Messiah. I, through my teachings, will set you free. But by this point, Jesus' attackers have become so unable to change their mind that they actually become utterly stupid. And that's what the inability to change your mind does. It, it moves you from being a semi-intelligent person to becoming a complete moron. Our brains, when they do not have the ability to change and to learn and to grow, begin to shut down and degenerate to the fact where we don't even know some of the most basic things to our own history and faith. We become stupid. Notice what the people say to Jesus. When he says, know my truth and it will set you free, they throw this back at Jesus. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will set us free? Now, to be Jewish and to think that you've never been a slave to anyone is, is absolutely astonishing to me. When the biggest event in your history is something called the Exodus. You were slaves in Egypt. God set you free from the Egyptians, part of the Red Sea, and you came to the Promised Land. It, it, to, to, to be a Jew and to say we've never been slaves to anyone is about as stupid as someone saying that he's a Christian but doesn't need to ask God for much forgiveness. It just doesn't make sense. The two are completely connected to the faith. How someone can claim and deny the core belief of their religion in the same sentence is a very unique talent. It's a talent of a hard heart. A shut down mind. How could you forget that as Abraham's descendants that you claim to be, you were once slaves to the Egyptians? How can you forget that as Abraham's descendants, as you claim to be, you were once captured by the Babylonians and taken into exile by the Babylonians? How can you, as Abraham's descendants, right now talking to Jesus, not realize that you are under the oppression of the Romans. In fact, isn't that the whole reason you're waiting for a Messiah? Is to deliver you from slavery? In, in fact, this very debate that Jesus is having with the Jewish people is at the temple. And it's during the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is having this debate 
at the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a celebration of God's rescuing Abraham's descendants from slavery called the Exodus. So it's in the very midst of the celebration of their freedom from slavery that they say, we've never been slaves of anyone. It's like celebrating St. Patrick's Day and not knowing anything about St. Patrick. It's, it's like celebrating Lent or Mardi Gras or Christmas and forgetting what they're about. It's like the guy who told me that he was a Protestant but that he didn't believe in God. Just to confuse him, I told him that I was an atheist who did believe in God. And I just let him go home with that. Not only were Abraham's descendants slaves in Egypt, they were in exile to the Babylonians, they're under the oppression of the Romans, and God had rescued them continually from the Egyptians, from the Babylonians. That's what they're waiting for now. William Barclay writes, the Jewish history was a history of disasters, captivity, slavery, and defeat. And yet they say to Jesus, We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean? Set us free. You can see how when we become continually argumentative and hard-hearted, we can't even see what is right before us. Have you ever gotten into an argument where instead of just admitting that you were wrong, you kept digging yourself in deeper and deeper. You'd rather be an idiot than admit to just being wrong. The worst is when it's with your wife and you know you're starting to sound like an idiot and your arguments are not making a lot of sense, but you just keep on going and going and going. That's just a random hypothetical situation I've heard some people experience. And we laugh at this in, in the safety of this environment right now. But Jesus has a strong warning to those whose hearts become hard and are unable to admit that they may be wrong. That whose hearts become hard, that they're unable to see the truth of God. In John 8, if you want to turn in your Bibles to... Verse 36, John 8, 36, this is what we read as Jesus begins to warn about what happens when we harden our hearts like this. Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you're descendants of Abraham, like you said. And yet some of you are trying to kill me. That's how hard their hearts have become. Because there's no room in your hearts for my message. But I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father. But you are following the advice of your own father. Once again, they see the need to remind Jesus, our father is Abraham. Oh no, Jesus said. If you were really children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are, intimidate, you are imitating your real father. 
They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. So now they're trying to up it even more. No, okay, Abraham's not just our father. God himself is our father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't hear. For you are children of your father, not Abraham, not God. You are children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. That, those are hard words. You can understand why the people wanted to kill him. These people who believed they were children of Abraham himself, children of God, God's chosen people. Jesus is saying, your hearts have become so hard, you can't even see the truth anymore. The truth that God has put right before you in me. And when you harden your heart to that extent, you no longer can claim to be children of Abraham. Because it's not about biology. You no longer can claim to be children of God. Because God is a God of truth, and you are living in deception. And therefore, your father is none other than the devil. The one whose very nature hates truth. The one whose very nature hardens hearts. Jesus gives us four attributes here of the devil. And he says that these attributes are shared by people who, like their father, the devil, Harden their heart towards the truth. He says the devil loves to do evil. The devil kills and destroys. Just like these people wanted to kill Jesus. The devil hates the truth. And the devil continually lies. These are the attributes. These are the character traits. These are the family resemblances of those who belong to the devil. There are people like this both outside of the church and there are people like this inside of the church. And if you are one of those people and you continue along this path long enough, you will get to the point of no return. Jesus refers to this in another place in the Bible as the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin, the one sin that God cannot forgive, and that is the sin of so hardening your heart towards God that you are no longer able to even acknowledge Him or to surrender to Him. It's impossible. You've gotten to that point where your heart is stone. He is warning the people here that that is the very path they are on. 
Some of them have already crossed the line. You belong to the devil. You can't see the truth. You've become so hard towards God that like the devil, he's beyond repentance. All he does now is steals, kills, and tries to destroy everything that God does. He's unable to ask for forgiveness. A A hard heart is unable to repent. It loves evil. Now, when we think of loving to do evil, it's easy to feel safe by putting it out there. Loving evil is what those people out there do. It's what drug dealers do. It's what pimps do. Those people. But when we realize that the religious leaders were the ones most often attacked by Jesus, we cannot play it so safe. To say that the lovers of evil are just those people out there. The religious leaders loved obeying their laws more than they loved people. That, according to Jesus and Paul, is a lover of evil. These religious people were more concerned with being right than being loving. They insisted on justice more than forgiveness. Purity was about letting in the right people and keeping out the wrong people. Rather than purity of thought and heart. And all of this created a deeply practiced hypocrisy. Which is evil. Jesus calls this loving evil. It brings The results of the devil, death, destruction to God's work. It obscures the truth and it piles lies on top of each other. Hypocrisy is the very thing modeled by the devil. I mean, what is the very thing the devil does? He appears or he masquerades or he disguises himself as an angel of light. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is showing yourself as one thing, but underneath you're really something else. That's what the devil is the master of. Masquerading as light when he is nothing but darkness. To pretend to be one way when you're really another is the greatest enemy of God in his work. Hypocrisy. It's loving evil. I live close to someone who grew up in church and now unfortunately has completely rejected the things of the church and of God. Grew up in a church where the elders railed in sermons against the evils of rock music. While later it was discovered that they were sexually abusing children in the church. Those are the kind of things that God hates. He talked about listening to sermons being preached about the importance of foreign missions while sitting around the dinner table and hearing those same preachers spew racist comments as they had lunch. 
insisting that women wear head coverings and submit to men when all the real decisions in the church were being made by the women in the gossip sessions and then they manipulated their weak husbands who spent all their time going to meetings supposedly pretending to lead the church and spending it away from their kids. We can have all the veneer of being biblical and these people leading these people this, but underneath it, it's ugly and sick. Closed minds, hard hearts. These are the kinds of things that God says is evil. It brings death. It brings destruction, like my neighbor. It's destroyed his faith. It appears to be truthful, but it operates in lies and death. It's just as diabolically satanic as the goofy cults that dance naked in the woods to the god Pan. It's just as evil. God's work is being done in Jesus. Truth and freedom are found in Jesus. But in Jesus' day and his own, his greatest enemies were those who continued to throw obstacles in the way of God's work. They continued to throw obstacles in the way of truth. Obstacles in the way of freedom. Those who distort the truth with the lie that freedom can be found without any God at all. Freedom can be found just by following the whims of your own desires. That's where truth is found. But what ends up happening is that those lies trap people into the slavery of their lust and the slavery of their greed that the world has to offer them. Or other people who distort the truth with lies that say freedom can be found in the rules and the rigidity of religion. And they end up ensnaring people with the slavery of self-righteousness and arrogance and hypocrisy like we talked about. All obstacles to the work of Jesus. These were the forces that stood against Jesus. These were the forces that Jesus spoke so strongly against just as Paul did. Because these powers and these people are grandchildren of the devil. Jesus has no nice way to speak against this because it destroys God's work and Jesus came to bring life. Jesus came to bring truth. Jesus came to bring freedom. And those who found Jesus know what it means to live in those things. Those who found forgiveness know how to forgive. Those who've been shown mercy know how to extend mercy. Those who understand the generosity offered to them understand what it means to become generous. Do not continually listen to Jesus Sunday after Sunday and harden your heart towards who he is and what he's come to offer. Do not harden your heart by so rooting yourself in your religious tradition that you're unable to make corrections, to see things in new ways, to soften your heart to what God may be doing. 
Do not stand in the way of Jesus by smothering other people, by forcing them to become your disciples, rather than pointing them to Jesus so that they become his disciples. That they discover their own life in Jesus. I always think it's, it's funny how in, in our church traditions, we often use terminology like a personal relationship with Jesus. And then we go on and expect everybody's relationship with Jesus to look like mine, which then isn't very personal. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, then it's going to be different than my relationship with Jesus. And it's going to look different. And we need to allow for that. That is part of the richness of a church community. That we can each know Jesus as community, but we can each know him one by one. And Paul talked emphatically about getting out of the way. Even being willing to give up some of the things I can freely indulge in if they get in the way of someone else's personal relationship with Jesus. Because that's what matters. And don't worry about putting on an appearance that you have to have it all figured out. Sometimes I think that's one of the obstacles we have as Christians when witnessing to non-Christians or even coming together as Christian community. We feel like we have to have it all together. When, when, when my neighbor comes and talks to me about the church and what it's been like and how he's rejected the faith, we start to panic and, okay, i got to start thinking about a way to defend the faith and tell him and bring him back into the fold, rather than just to say to him, you know what, the church sucks sometimes. I totally get you. I've, I've felt like you've felt sometimes. And maybe we just need to commiserate together a little bit. Maybe eventually through a relationship and praying for him, other things will come up. But we, later, but we feel like we're so pressured all the time to be perfect. i got to have the perfect answer, the perfect witness, or the perfect smile every time I'm around people. And that is the very thing that then gets in the way and trips us up and then leads to too much hypocrisy. Rather than just allowing for ourselves to be honest and open with one another. In fact, it's often when Christians mess up and then repent and ask for forgiveness that we give the best model to non-Christians. Not when we're perfect. Or what about when our own kids, when our kids see us after we've messed up, repenting, saying I was wrong, and asking for forgiveness. That models Christianity. Christians aren't perfect. They're forgiven. About a month ago, I went out with someone who just started attending our church. He, I love this story. He told me he knew this was the church for him. As soon as he pulled into the parking lot. I said, wow, that's... Kind of amazing. What's the story behind that? He said, well, I pulled into the parking lot, and I wasn't really sure what to do, and I saw you had some parking attendants. And so I, I brought down my window, and a parking attendant came to me, and I said, is there any system to your parking, anything I need to do? This is my very first time attending the church. 
And he said the parking attendant looked at him and said, hey, your first time, that's great. Go plant your ass down inside in the service, and I'll be in there in a few minutes, and I'll sit right next to you. And he said, this is the church for me. Now, I have to tell you, that is not the lingo we train our parking attendants to use. It's not necessarily what what we, we say to them. But I'll tell you what, that makes God smile much more than a polite tap on the shoulder that says, excuse me, please, but you're sitting in my seat. You notice the difference? See, the, the, the second one has all the appearance of politeness, of eloquence, of, of religion. It's even said sweetly, but underneath it, it's evil. It's selfish. It's something that kills, steals, and destroys. Whereas, I'm so glad this is your first time here. Go plant your ass down inside and I'll come and I'll sit right next to you. Is full of love, generosity, openness, and acceptance. And what God looks at is not the external, but the heart behind it. And when looking at some of the colorful language that Jesus used at the beginning of today's sermon and the fact that Jesus hung around with prostitutes and tax collectors and a lot of times had to call out religious people, I think that it might be something that Jesus might have said himself. Jesus said, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. You'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Soften your hearts to what I'm doing. Be open. And my truth will set you free to really live as I've called you to live. For our closing song, we're actually going to remain seated today. And I just want you to sit and to listen to the words of this song that is played.